Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ladies Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is the infamous Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. <laughs> hello, Stephen. How are you? I am, I am doing good. And uh, how I, goes the weather? Last time we spoke, there was the remnants of a hurricane or something coming through Austin. <laughs> so I assume you survived. I, yeah, I get, I'm nice and damp, which in Austin speak is an amazing, amazing thing, actually. So. That's very happened. better. It's, it's funny. I'm laughing about you. You saying I'm infamous. Uh, there was some one of those marketing spams was, was telling me that I was nominated as one of the most prolific leaders. Whoa! Uh, I don't know how to interpret that. Do you but. get like a fancy glass statue to put on your desk, or I for for a, a mere five thousand dollars, I'm sure I'd get reprints and a and a statue and a copper bust and some stickers. I, I don't know. Well, maybe the so latest. It, there'd be a lot of it because I'm I'm prolific. So maybe the latest shiny. We should raise money so that we can get you that statue, Rob. Yeah, maybe it's the latest shiny that made me made me nominated for the most now, prolific. I think it's your Cloud 2030 stuff. We we always throw that in prolific. that uh, that for that. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let's get on today. We'll we'll ramble. We do have a guest. I'm very excited. We have Derek Swanson, who's a CTO um, at Silk Technologies, and uh, Derek is great because he's our first guest with a suit and tie but he's super techie. So let me introduce uh, Derek. Derek, welcome to the uh, podcast and thanks for joining us. Hello, Ron and Steve. Great to be here. Thanks gentlemen for the invite. Uh, so, enjoyed your podcast in the past. So appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic. So Derek, can you just give us a little bit of a background about yourself and then we'll jump into Silk Technologies? Sure. I'm Derek Swanson. I'm the CTO for Silk Technologies. And my background is uh, goes way back, started building Novell Networks in the 80s. So started with networking, but uh, moved into compute and primary storage. Did a lot of thin client in the 90s, moved into server virtualization in the 2000s. Been working with primary tier one storage since 2000 with uh, you know EMC Symmetrics and the other big boxes, right? Hitachi, USB, VSB, IBM, DS8000, et cetera, et cetera. Which of course tied into the virtualization revolution, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been architecting, building, deploying, and operating data center infrastructures and network application platforms for decades. So I come at this, uh, some from the architect, but primarily from the infrastructure and operations point of view, the real world point of view, like I like to say, this is where we actually make the things work, not just theorize about how they should work. Now at, uh, at Silt for the last five years, been involved, of course, in the storage platform and data services platform evolution from spinning disk to hybrid to all flash on-prem and now of course helping people migrate elements to clouds both public and private the hybrid cloud primarily is the space we operate in today and dealing with all the serious challenges facing you know fortune 5000 in their digital transformation journey because every, everyone's doing this everyone's on this journey whether they know it or not most people know it these days but we've been on this journey for well really this whole century but uh, the last few years, it's sped up significantly, and people are starting to run into some serious, not just speed bumps, but roadblocks today. So we'll talk a little bit about, hopefully, how we can uh, fix the hybrid cloud for people. Interesting. So there's there's a lot for us to unpack, and I, um, first maybe for me first, it's helpful to understand what Silk does, um, right. just from a, a technical perspective. You know, clearly there's something about storage, there's something about virtualization. Um, can you give us an architectural thumbnail? 
Sure. So to try to boil it down as simple as possible, we're a, a data performance, data persistence, and data services platform. And we run that platform to provide these services as block devices, typically for high-end tier one applications, databases, et cetera, et cetera. Although tier two also, we count tier two to be like high-end server virtualization, things like that. Tier one, of course, is the crown jewels of the company, line of business, customer experience, high-end databases, things where the company you know, generates their revenue and that's where they live. This is what we accelerate, enable, optimize, and enhance for people. So data performance, data persistence, data services. And we've been doing this on-prem for many, many years. Uh, the company's been around for 12 years now. We're on our eighth generation of the platform. And in the last year and a half or so, that year and a half, we've ported our software into the public cloud where we're able to provide this persistence, performance, and services functions for tier one applications into the public clouds. When I say public cloud, I'm just referring primarily to Amazon, Google, and Microsoft Azure. So we can run on those platforms today, providing the same feature functionality, look, feel, footprint, APIs, management, governance, security, that we've been providing on-prem for years and years and years. So in enabling data mobility, migration, and you know, uh, feature functionality to be on parity between on-prem and in the cloud. That's what we do. Data Interesting. Storage. And so when you're, when you're doing this, is this a storage solution outright? Like is, are people you know, just saying, hey, I, I need to store data, I'm gonna use Silk, or is, is this a you know, accelerators, like a, a, a layer that sits in between your storage resources and your applications to improve performance? Yeah, good question. So it does provide the storage substrate. So we do provide storage. So you're not leveraging, like you're not going to go buy some disks and then put our software on top of it. It's not, it's not software defined storage in that way, but it's okay. not entirely appliance based where you just kind of buy a box and it's a black box and it goes. We do run on different compute engines. We have different uh, types of platforms that we support for, you know, SaaS, NVMe, and native cloud infrastructures. So it's a little bit more open, but it's not entirely software defined. But yeah, when you buy our technology, we are providing to you the underlying persistence layer, as well as the performance and services layer, and providing you hooks into commonly used APIs, for example, you know, Kubernetes, or we have, you know, Terraform provider or PowerShell uh, SDK, or we have a full RESTful API. So you can, you know, uh, administer and orchestrate our stuff using JSON or Python or, or any of those kind of traditional orchestration automation tools that people are using today. Right. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to get a feel for, you know, if, on premises, it sounds like your software, I'd buy hardware, I'd run your software on it, it would present me with a, a block storage device that would be yes. highly optimized and tuned. Yes. Um, that seemed, that's, that's, that's pretty straightforward to me. Yep. Um, and, and tons of need is really important um, in, that, in that space. In cloud, it, it feels like you don't have as much control over a whole bunch of these variables, right? So you're, you're talking about you know, sort of front ending, or you know, I guess you somebody would get virtual machines, they'd install Silk on it, and then that would become their storage volumes instead of, say, uh, using EBS or something like something that Amazon would provide natively. 
Yes, you're on the right track. So we can break all of that stuff out. So let me explain a little bit how it works in the cloud. So in the cloud, I have a deployment tool that will do all of this for you. We call it Flex. And Flex is our orchestration tool that instantiates the data platform or the data cluster or the array, basically interchangeable words, right? So the instance that provides the services, performance, and persistence are created by our software called Flex. And what Flex does is it grabs the underlying infrastructure as a service elements from the cloud that we're running on, grabs the compute engine, grabs the underlying ephemeral SSDs is what we leverage, and grabs, you know, gets the appropriate amount of networking, which of course is tied to the compute engines we're using, reswizzles that all together, instantiates that, and then presents to you an interface where you can either plug it into a service catalog to provision volumes or services, snapshots, replication, et cetera, or just presents you a straight interface where you can go in and do some administration if you want. So we're leveraging existing infrastructure and turning it into our platform. We do that for you automatically. So we can dive more into that if you want. As, as, so, so there's a Silk service, like a SaaS, that would build, build up a storage volume and manage it for you? Yeah, we, make, we, call it, okay. we call it basically storage platform as a service, essentially. But yeah, it's kind of an as-a-service function that we call Flex that will, will orchestrate all of this for you and has published APIs that allow you to connect it into, like I said, Terraform or Ansible or whatever your automation or whatever your workflow automation process right. is, you can integrate that way. Right. So, I mean, I, I, under, I, I guess maybe I understand the benefits. Terraform and Ansible are great if I'm attaching, you know, setting up storage volumes and then attaching it. There's not really a storage story per se for those platforms. It's mis no, more of a configuration just to make sure right. I'm not missing something. Okay. No, sure. For example, so I want to stand up an environment, right? And I, I'm going to use Terraform to instantiate some servers, et cetera. Well, part of that uh, IAM, right? I'm going to instantiate some machine image along with it. Well, if I don't have my storage profile built into that image, if I have to do it afterwards using Ansible or something like that, then I can leverage that to connect to Silk and provision whatever I need. So I can provision LUNs and attach them wherever, or I can talk to it to do snapshots and mount those snapshots somewhere else or do replication, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that, that makes sense. And so from that perspective, if I'm using Silk across the cloud infrastructures, then I have one API that exactly. I could use for storage across different environments. That makes, exactly. that makes a lot of sense. In, in, I, and including on-prem as well, because it's, it's the same on-prem as it is in the cloud. Right. And I, I would consider that a hybrid story. From that is absolutely hybrid. That's what we're all about entirely is enabling hybrid architectures. Okay. And so there's two places for me to, to go. First, I just, I want to ask the obvious question, which is why is this better than, than using the cloud providers native storage. I mean, that's, right. that's probably the first. I, I mean, it's the, it's the obvious question, but I, you know, I, yeah. no, I think you, it's important to absolutely bring that forward. Yeah. What is the value proposition? Why, why does it matter? Why, why do I care to use silk? Right. A um, couple of things, the cloud native stuff is a shared nothing architecture. Essentially, there's almost no data services. You can get some snapshots, but there's a lot of caveats around that. You have some very basic replication capabilities that aren't super robust. But when it comes to other data services, 
like uh, you know, deduplication, compression, pattern removal, thin provisioning, um, instantaneous zero footprint snapshots. A lot of this rich data services stuff we've been doing on-prem for years and years and do it really, really well. Cloud doesn't do any of that because it's a shared nothing architecture. It's not built to do that. They don't have metadata databases tracking compression and dedupe and snapshots and all that stuff. Hmm. They're really, really far behind um, what you might call the traditional you know, providers in this space. What they're giving you is you can, you can provision a persistent disk, whether it's HDD or an SSD, and maybe there's some different tiers of that, or you can get an S3 bucket. It's just very basic, simple stuff, which right. works well for small instances or applications that don't require a lot of horsepower or for latency that doesn't really matter. What we consider a lot of tier two, tier three stuff or for DevOps, works okay for DevOps, except when you want right. to replicate your environment. But um, if you want to get high performance, consistent, low latency, high performance, or maybe a really fast DevOps process where you're snapping, replicating, and moving dozens or hundreds of big databases continuously throughout the day, like many of our customers do. Some of our customers are snapping and replicating a thousand database instances a day. The cloud is not really built for that. It's not architected to support those types of functions, especially when it comes to delivering consistent low latency SLAs for mission critical applications. The way they do it is they want you to refactor the application into maybe a microservices or distributed architecture where you shard the database and you spread it out across all of these instances and orchestrate it with Kubernetes. And that's great, but requires a re-architecture, refactor. You can't just lift and shift and do it that way. I, all right, so I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm I'm laughing um, because you know what what you're what you're acknowledging here is the reality that a lot of the the yay microservices pieces are in fact marketing um, that benefits the architectural patterns of the cloud, and to an extent, the cloud, which is seen as the new thing, hasn't caught up with you know try you know I'm air quoting uh, tried and true. Yep. enterprise software that's actually been optimized and, and, and managed for, for years, right, mm -hmm. to solve some of these use cases. And so we, we have this tendency to conflate, you know, cloud new, therefore better, you know, and in every, in every dimension. And yeah. I, I love that this, because it's not that simple. It is, it's not, it's spot on. You know who's telling us that the new ways are better? It's Amazon and Google and these other guys. So <laughs> they're, you know, it's, their marketing, look, I got to give them credit, right? Because they've driven into the zeitgeist, this idea that you must move everything to the cloud now. And we can't tell you how many customers we talk to where the, 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 the chief digital officer or the digital transformation guy or the CTO, whoever, who was ever tasked with this comes and says, the board has decided we're going to be all cloud by fill in the blank, right? Yes. And it's just, it's just marketing and it's not real. It's not real. They don't have any idea how to take this huge on-prem SAP environment they've been running for 10 years and just move it into the cloud. So, so from that perspective, you were, you were describing hybrid and yep. the ability to have a, a plat, you know, you know, hybrid definitely from an API perspective. So if I'm building something and my team knows it and we, it works, we've automated it, I can, you know, I can install Silk in all these locations and have a consistent experience. Is there a deeper hybrid where you're actually able to synchronize data or take advantage of, of geographic distribution or vendor distribution uh, in the system? 
Yeah, so the higher levels of intelligence is what we're driving to. So R&D, this is what we want to get to. We want to get, we, we need to drive more intelligence up the stack, right? Because our whole deal is how can I get to these intent-based outcomes, right? Where it's template-driven, it's self-healing, it's intent-based, there's an intelligence layer. And this intelligence layer interacts with the application and the infrastructure so that I can compose on the fly the elements that I need in kind of a Lego-like structure where I'm oh, getting a maximum of efficiency, both for performance and for cost, flexibility, and of course the availability that I need. That's the future that we're driving to. Does that exist today? No, it doesn't exist today. Do, do we have full heuristic automation and IT service orchestration driven by AOPS? Those are all awesome words that we say, <laughs> you know, that we talk about business product automation, but the reality is where are most, and let's, let's qualify, non-tech companies, companies that aren't Apple or Amazon or, or Google, companies that aren't technology companies, but companies like, like Bank of America or Caterpillar or Blue Cross Blue Shield that, that aren't at their core technology company, where they're at today is maybe IT service automation, where they're still figuring out DevOps, container management, uh, ITPA, RPA, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They're not to that point either. This is our journey that we're going on, we believe, for the next 10 years, certainly the next five, is driving yeah. intelligence up the stack to move from IT task automation to IT service automation, which is kind of where we think we are mostly now, to full business product automation, where I can pick something and the architecture will orchestrate itself underneath and adjust itself as needed to the demands of the application without a lot of human intervention. And today it's it's really all human intervention. Well, we dress it up by saying AI ops, but it's still operationally <laughs> a lot of it's human intervention. Um, and you had, you had mentioned intent driven. Was that, did, did I catch that in, in the, in, yes. in what you were saying? And yeah, so exactly. I, I think intent driven is a really important concept for people to understand when they um, talk about it. Kubernetes uh, really embraces that, but in some ways they're so focused on Kubernetes. I, I think the, the architectural need is a little bit missed. Can you step back? I mean, I, I'd love to hear how, you see intent-driven and storage working together, um, and also just why intent-driven? Yeah, so the intent-driven stuff is just to simplify what we're trying to accomplish. Now, it let me put it this way, compute and store, compute and network are, are way ahead of us on this. Like software-defined networking that's configurable on the fly has made leaps and bounds in progress. Mm -hmm. And compute as well. Compute has really gone a long way since we've been able to basically virtualize just about everything. But storage is still lagging pretty far behind. We're barely coming out of the monolithic stack appliance days where we're even a closed system like, hey, there's no public facing API here. Like you're going to interact with our system using our closed management tool and that's it. Now, of course, over the last few years, we're starting to publish more public APIs. When I say we, I'm talking about the industry at large, not just our company. But we, you know, we have a Kubernetes CSI interface. We have a cinder driver we plug into OpenStack. We publish our, so our operating environment is called Vision. Vision has a public API that you can access full RESTful. Flex, which is our orchestration layer, is fully open as well, full RESTful, full, full published API that you can plug into. So as we build 
the actual intelligent orchestration using whatever it is. Kubernetes is probably, as you said, the people most focused on, you know, declarative code and intent-based outcomes. But I think other people will get there as well. And what that means is we understand the application needs these parameters in order to operate well. And those parameters shift based on the load. Load is not fixed. It can dynamically expand or contract based on a lot of things. It could be time-based, it could be geo-based, it could be event-driven, et cetera. So as those things expand and contract, we need the underlying architecture to understand what is the new intent of the application delivery, whatever you want to call it, SLA for lack of a better word, in order to ensure customer experience. Well, storage infrastructures can't do any of that stuff today. I mean, that's, we're, we're nowhere near that. We do have a composable, dynamically scalable infrastructure that will respond to that. We need to build the intelligence in to work with those intent-based solutions so that when the application right. provides us some intelligence and it says, I need these many IOPS latency throughput, uh, whatever the data services are, we can respond in kind and self-configure the environment in a just-in-time fashion to maximize, to keep the customer experience where it needs to be without, you know, blowing costs out of the water or radically de provisioning the wrong thing or desynchronizing our infrastructure requirements with what the application needs. Right. So th this to me is, is a key thing. And you, I, I, I like the way you're describing it. Um, and you, but you're also exposing a, a big hole in, in intent driven, which is the, the what I, what I've been calling automation tra chaining. Um, by having good, good, strong APIs for storage, you can say, I need storage that looks like this, make one command, get the storage you need out of it. Um, right. I mean, and, and that's, that's, that's hugely important because you need, that's, that's, you don't want to have to be like, Oh, I need a volume of this size and then go do this. Exactly. And it has to be attached to this. And right. you need to be able to say, I, I, this is my intent, go build it. Sounds like that's, right. that's a big piece of what you've been driving. Um, Big piece. That's that's the, exactly uh, R and D. That's what we're trying to drive to because we know the the value is in as you move up the stack. The lower you go, there's no value in that. You know, we don't want to talk about port speeds and feeds and stuff like that. We want to talk about business outcomes and how to deliver those business outcomes and customer experience in a more effective fashion. Right. I'm 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 laughing because I I both agree and disagree with your statement because it's. Um, Entirely true, right? You want to be able to say, this is my, this is my goal. I need it to go. And at some point, somebody does care <laughs> somewhere in that chain that the port's right and the sure. configuration. Not the end but, user. But not, not the, the end user and, and definitely not the automation, right? If you're building right. a chain of automation, as soon as you wire in a port, you're, you've made it fragile. And so that's, that's the challenge. The interesting gap to me is, while something like Kubernetes is very intent-driven from Kubernetes itself, I, I'm not sure that they are intent driven for the surrounding infrastructure. No, they're not. We need to expand that. And, and that's, this is where this conversation ends up being very, uh, not our conversation, the industry conversation about intent driven is like my platform's intent driven, but you're, you framed it as a business goal. And the Kubernetes admin who says, I got my pod up, yay, but had right. to then call the storage admin to make exactly. the storage admin. That's, that's not work. That's not going to work. Or right. it's the way it is today. <laughs> the way it is the way today it is work. not sufficient. You're right. So 
we think the tw we think the 20s 2020 the decade of the 20s is definitely the decade of the cloud it's all about cloud adoption hybrid cloud how do i get to the cloud etc but in a more meaningful way than the last 10 years and this is part of the gaps that we have to fill in we have the three letter acronyms we have the architecture we have the we have the board speak that we need but we are lacking what we have is some glue layers but we're really lacking more robust intelligence between the orchestration and the outcome layers, right? Like I said, we want it to be template driven. It needs to be self-healing, very important. And it needs to be mm -hmm. intent-based, but for the entire, for holistically, not just for the one element, like what Kubernetes cares about, right? So where do you see that going? I mean, right, I mean, you've, you've, you've been building a storage platform, um, you know, clearly making, making a lot of progress in building something that, that really serves your customers from that perspective. How, how, does, how, how does a successful customer look at building all these pieces together? So that's a great question. And I'll, I'll bring this back now to reality. What we're talking <laughs> about, frankly, is too far advanced for most of our customers. What most of our customers are struggling with today are more along the lines of lift and shift. Like, how do I get these basic applications that aren't super complicated. It's not like this is a 50 server rack cluster I need to migrate into the cloud. It's more like I built these applications, they're homegrown, I don't wanna refactor them. We're struggling with how to containerize them and manage the containers, because as you know, then I get Kubernetes sprawl and I don't have Kubernetes expertise in house, so I have to leverage the cloud. How do I get my data from on-prem into the cloud, run it there successfully, and if I need to move it back or move it someplace else, how can I continue to run in parallel some on-prem operations with some cloud operations without duplicating my entire environment? Because honestly, a lot of companies, they've duplicated their on-prem into the cloud, they're still paying for both. Yeah. So that, those are the real world concerns that we're dealing with today. The other stuff like, hey, 20, you know, intent-based self-healing, that's further down the road, that's where we wanna get to. The reality today is enabling cloud adoption because as we said, cloud architectures are not a mirror of our on-prem architectures and oftentimes don't, don't work very easily. It's an interesting thing. So when, when do you, does Silk, now in, you said dedupe and it sounds like there's a replication component so you yep. can say, all right, I, I've, I've got storage in two locations. Yep. I can synchronize that, which is yep. hugely, that's a hugely important and challenging thing. How granular does that get for you? So it's, we, I mean, it's a built-in technology we've been developing for a long time, works really well. And how granular it is, is down to, you know, the individual volume level. And you can choose where and when and how much and how often and you can put it forwards and backwards at a push of a button. And it's change block tracking. So the amount of data you're moving back and forth is actually very small. It's all compressed and encrypted. So there's not a lot, it's really efficient how we do it which I want to point out because most other architectures that don't have these rich data services, you're moving a lot of data. It takes a long time. You're moving the whole thing. And if something breaks or it doesn't work, you're starting over from scratch. So our methodology for moving it is, is pretty well developed. We've been doing it for a very long time now. So very great. It's, it's, it's interesting because we, we in, in the Cloud 2030, um, September 24th session, we were talking about cloud economics and it turned into a data, data economics discussion. That's um, it, and that's, yeah, there's, there, those things are, are really tightly interlinked. And I, but I, I think that 
these techniques of being able to, right, we're, the, the reality on the ground is that people are gonna have the same data in multiple clouds, <laughs> in multiple premises, on multiple edges. Yep. And what you're describing is to me, um, and it's funny because you're, you're like, yeah, this is old tech. You know, we've been on premises for a long time. We've been just delivering customer value. The, what you're describing is, is even more relevant today as, as all of this uh, replication need and, and, and economic replication need um, surfaces. And so I, I, that's, it's nice to get a spin on that where, where you have a real solution. A couple of reasons for that because there's a couple of mutable things that we always run into. One, and these, are, these two things are interrelated. One is data locality, two is data gravity. And then the third element is the cost of trying to get things moved where you need them. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's performance, sometimes it's uh, regulatory requirements, sometimes it's just uh, time to deliver. So we, especially when we're speaking about edge technologies, which are not that prevalent today, but we believe are going to explode in relevance over the next five years to 10 years, more and more applications and customer experience will be pushed closer to the edge and richer and richer experiences. When we say rich, what we're talking about is data intensive. So if I have a huge data set and I want to have a fast response out of that, I've got to deal with data locality and data gravity. Now, how do I easily move that to wherever my customer is to deliver an answer to their car or to their phone or to the plane or to the boat or on their bike or wherever they're going because the time value of that data is decreasing by an order of magnitude for every second it takes to deliver that to them. And that is the, the real challenges that a lot of people are facing today. You know, I, I can't have my customer waiting on a response because in 20 seconds or 30 seconds, that was the value of that response has dropped to the point where it's, it's, I'm not making any money off of it. So why am I hosting all these really expensive architectures that I can't leverage the way I need to? So, so that's what we're trying, we're dealing with that problem too. It's one of the things our platform helps enable. So Derek, I heard the word edge and that forced me to jump back in. Um, <laughs> for those who have been listening for three years, uh, we started this podcast really focused around edge. And now that it's completely gone into the, I guess, the trough of disillusionment, I think yeah, that's the word. You're right. And none of us know <laughs> where it we'll is. We'll just rebroadcast everything in six <laughs> more months. And those of us who went to work for pre-trough of disillusionment edge companies. Bought the hype, funny. man. You bought the hype. Hey, I was there. I tried to help build it. But uh, anyway, it is, uh, it is funny to hear that term. But uh, this is where I usually come in because I need to stop Rob. Are we, it's uh, a good. It's a good thing on. you did because after the word data gravity is said, we have to pay Dave McCrory royalties on every minute of tape after that. So. Oh boy! And if you're not <laughs> sure what data gravity is, I think Rob, we always refer back to our podcast with uh, Mercury, which is a good one to learn it on that. But, but Derek, it was uh, it was great to have you on. Um, if people want to get in touch with yourself, maybe uh, the company, uh, what's the best way to go about that? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, you know, uh, Derek Swanson on LinkedIn, you can look up Silk, I'm there, you can communicate with me on LinkedIn, or of course, directly, uh, just get a hold of us at silk.us, you can go to our website and get a hold of our people there, and uh, be happy to interact with anyone who wants to correspond. And you know, it's funny, Derek, because he used to always ask, well, is there any events you're coming up on or any, um, <laughs> no. anything like that, and I've, <laughs> I've stopped doing that. Um, 
have you have you been doing more webinars or speaking at these virtual events? I'm just curious because the virtual events have seemed to kind of gone away now. There were tons of them early, but now it's kind of disappeared. Oh, back. Are they back do, again? I did yeah. do quite a few early, but I guess we moved from uh, the slope of hype down into the trough of disillusionment on virtual <laughs> events uh, more rapidly than I think we all expected. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not a whole lot of virtual stuff lately. I think everyone has Zoom fatigue, quite honestly. So I, I, I get it right now. You know? Well, I would check out. Uh, I'll just make the plug again, Rob. Our our Cloud Twenty Thirty initiative, which we have proposed as the ongoing virtual event. That's not an event, and it never ends. <laughs> it's basically a permanent hallway track. It's, it's a awesome. It's a permanent it's hallway awesome. track, and um, we are playing with that. So if you're listeners to us and you've heard us talk about this before and you haven't gone, you should. Um, to our listeners, also, uh, hopefully, you go check out Silk. Um, their technology is, is really interesting. I like their website playing around and finding different spaces and corners of the website. Maybe there's, <laughs> Derek, maybe there's prizes to find different sections that uh, you didn't know were there. That's but, a great <laughs> idea. That's a great idea. That could be a promo, a spiff maybe, if you find new sections. It's like one of those choose your own, it's a choose your own adventure That's website right. for those of us old enough That's to right. those. I, I love those. I love those. Choose your own adventure. There's always a different ending. Very funny. Well, Derek, thank you uh, for joining us. Um, certainly, if you ever uh, have something interesting, which I'm sure you do, but something new come out, do reach out to us again. It'd be great to have you back. Uh, to our listeners, uh, certainly go check out uh, Derek's uh, his content on LinkedIn, get in touch with him. Uh, this was fantastic. I felt like it was uh, easygoing. The technology made sense. And I even heard business outcomes over technology from the CTO. So standing is something you don't hear every day. That was great. Well, thanks to uh, both of you and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Uh, thanks very much, Steve and Rob. Uh, had a great time. Much appreciated. I hope we talk again soon. Bye-bye, guys.